one constant through all the years, Ray, has been beyond the game. The most well-known, the best-looking, the best-dressed. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. The ladies are digging my sweet bass. I also really don't care. No, I'm saying I could have done with speed though, because I do that every time I golf. Are you really that ignorant? Yeah. You guys are so young and stupid. Get ready. Here we go. Thanks for joining us and welcome to the Beyond the Game program. Beyond the Game is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions, townandcountrysolutions.com. You can call Town & Country at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. I'm Rick Benson and here with me is the program's producer, Zach Barletta. Let's get on with the show. Let's do it. Long answer to a short question. That's how Patriots head coach Bill Belichick concluded five minutes and 25 second answer as to why he hates the electronic tablets you've been seeing teams using on the sidelines. That would have been the longest answer to a question he's ever given. Right. He's normally the king of, you know, very few word answers. To talk for five and a half minutes about technology you just never know what's going to get somebody to open up and to, and, and to get talking. And I think it's probably less the tablet technology itself and more the connectivity at the stadiums, mm-hmm. especially at Gillette. How many times have you heard about the headsets not working there? Oh, I was just going to say, now he knows how the other teams feel when their headsets go out during games and stuff. It was an issue again this past Sunday against mm-hmm. the Bengals. How is it that with all the money, that the NFL spends on various things, that they can't get to sideline communications to work properly. You're the conspiracy guy. I thought you'd be all over this. Well, for you patriot conspiracy theorists, if you are, <laughs> if, if, they're, if they really are doing something dishonest with the headsets, why is the NFL not on to them by now? And for that matter, how does that benefit them? Because once one team's sets go down, they, they ask the other team to not use theirs. So it's the same for both sides. So really, there's no benefit to yeah. the headsets it, not working. It happens to other teams around the league. Just because it's the Patriots, it gets kind of blown up there, I think. You've seen the video of Belichick by now, I would think, slamming the tablet against an equipment case. Oh, I watched it on loop for several minutes that day. He says he's going back to using pictures because it's more reliable. That's cool. You know, if you find something that works for you, stick with it. But the NFL and really all the professional leagues, they're such proponents of conformity. Mm-hmm. That is for a profit, you know, conformity for a profit. By you know, Microsoft paid the NFL four hundred million dollars to have those tablets featured exclusively on the NFL sidelines. Mm-hmm. I mean, good for Belichick for at least trying it. But I hate those such so obviously orchestrated product placement yeah. deals. And really, in a league where you can be thrown out of a game as a player for wearing cleats that aren't the official cleat of the NFL, the fact that Bill Belichick hasn't been forced to use these tablets is kind of amazing. Like, you know, when all the coaches are wearing the same style outfit you know, yeah. on a particular Sunday, and each Sunday it's a slightly different outfit, mm-hmm. you know, of course, what the NFL wants is fans are then going to go out and purchase said outfit. 
you know, whatever ridiculous slogan they're using for that season, like like in baseball. You know, what is it this year? I think it's came to rain or yeah. something like that. It's just it, it looks so orchestrated that it's absolutely dopey. Mm-hmm. And how much do you think Microsoft hates seeing their tablet getting destroyed on the sideline? Oh, I can't believe that Bill Belichick hasn't been asked to be in iPad commercials already. It, right? It would be perfect, right? And it's happened a few times over the years. You've seen these things get slammed. Not only was this latest incident on national TV, but the, the video's all over the in- internet. Like you oh, said, yeah. you watched it on loop. And then to have him take five and a half minutes discussing how much he hates the product, probably not the type of advertising they thought they were getting for $400 million. The best part is the problem probably isn't with the Surface tablet. It was probably just with the network in the stadium. Right. That's what I'm saying, the technology. The deal between Microsoft and the NFL was announced in 2013. And since then, I wonder how many times TV announcers have called them iPads. And I can't specifically give you a time, but I'm pretty sure that I've heard them mm-hmm. do that, refer to it as an iPad. I can't remember thinking, because I, I, I can't. At the time, I remember thinking, well, Microsoft isn't going to dig that. $400 million and your product gets abused on TV and then is all over the news being ripped for five and a half minutes by Bill Belichick. Do you think Microsoft put in a little call to the NFL? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it probably wasn't a little one. Can't imagine that was a fun call. And, of course, it's the Patriots. Like, Roger Goodell's going to defend the Patriots in any way. I mean, he was probably quick to throw Belichick over under the bus. You know, ah, the guy's a jerk. You know, I know. What do you want me to do? I can't talk to him. But both the NFL and Microsoft were pretty quick to release statements defending the product and its usage, It's which is just so dopey. The same guy who repeats, we're on to Cincinnati or whatever that was that he repeated over and over. He goes from repeating that four-word answer to going on for five and a half minutes about something as goofy as this. People are just funny. You remember your first car? Yes. I try not to, but I do. Technically, mine was a 65 Ford Mustang. I can't tell you how much I wish I still had that car. When I was 15, I bought it. It had no engine. Body was rough. I was doing the body work on the car. I planned to eventually put an engine in it. And, you know, I had a year or so before I was going to get my license. And this was back in the days before computer systems, pollution systems, when, Mm -hmm. you know, backyard mechanics could really thrive. Today, I I couldn't do much of anything on a car. Story about the 65 Mustang that I had. It's a close friend of mine. You know, he wrecked his cars. He was basically my driver if I wanted to go somewhere. We were friends. He was older than I was, and he drove everywhere because he was of age. He wrecked his car. I got the idea of saying, oh, why don't we put an engine in mine, and, you know, we'll put it on the road, which meant, of course, I had to put it on the road in his name. I had to sign it over to him. The idea was great. We went different places, worked for a few months until he bought a new car to replace the one he wrecked. And he bought it with the money that he made selling mine. Oh, no. Yeah. So the the first car that I had on the road, really, for myself was a 74 Ford Pinto. Now, you may not remember, but those were the cars that blew up if they were rear-ended. Yeah. You know, they had they got recalled. They had to put some plate over the protective to protect the gas tank. And, oh, my dad had a Pinto when I was a little kid. I remember those. Yeah, I mean, my this car was a turd, <laughs> but I I loved it. I, the floorboards were rusted out, and I I put in a piece of heavy metal underneath my seat, the driver's seat, 
you know. But if you went through a puddle, if you were sitting in the back seat behind me, you got soaked. It was great. It was great. <laughs> if I remember right, I think I paid $150 for this turd on wheels. But despite all the negatives, I knew that were part of this car. I love the car. I enjoyed the car. And basically, that's where I'm at with the NFL. You know, there are so many negatives that give you reasons to just want to get rid of it. But then you realize how much you actually do enjoy the games. That is not where I saw this going. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, take your pick. You want to talk about that terrible no call of pass interference on the Seahawks in last week's game against the Falcons? And that was terrible. I mean, my goodness, Richard Sherman had hold of Julio Jones' arms had spun him around away from the football. And you probably saw a video of Falcons coach Dan Quinn running up the sidelines behind a sideline judge just lighting into I mean, he was livid. I mean, it cost, it cost Atlanta the game. All they needed for the win was a field goal. And I, if I remember, this might have put him in field goal range. I think it was a fourth down play. It certainly was a first down they would have gotten. But it cost him the game. Maybe you want to talk about the Bengals. Vontae's perfect, getting only $75,000 fine and no what suspension. What a joke that is. Hey, remember, the NFL suspended Tom Brady four games, four games for allegedly deflating footballs, and did so without any real tangible proof. Now, not defending Tom Brady. I'm just saying it doesn't make sense when you look at these two in comparative. They and- leave perfect on the field after he allegedly stomped on the leg of Patriots LeGarrette Blanc. And Perfect is a multiple offender. Right. We've and on very public stages, we've seen him do it so many times. And in the same game, he clearly went at the knees from behind of Patriots Martellus Bennett. I saw that. That was so dirty. Steelers running back D'Angelo Williams tweeted out, So Roger is concerned about player safety, right? However, a known offender is fined rather than removed from the field. Message received. Exactly right. You know, the league talks about player safety and then leaves him on the field for the next game to potentially do it again. Makes no sense. How do you justify that in the light of Tom Brady getting four games? The league says the fine was for unnecessary roughness. So are there levels of guilt? If there was enough for unnecessary roughness to be fined, how is it not worthy of removing a repeat offender, as you say, like like perfect from the field? You saw enough to fine him $75,000. Why is he not suspended? And then Marvin Lewis, he comes out and defends this guy like, like yeah. there was nothing there. And he always has. Marvin Lewis seemed like he didn't understand why he got fined. You know, if there was nothing there, the NFL wouldn't have fined him. I get that the coach is going to he's going to have his players back. I get it. But you can support your player without suggesting that there's absolutely no guilt, no responsibility at all on the player's part. The Bengals need to send Lewis packing. They, they Under Lewis, that team has had a history of employing guys that if it weren't for mm-hmm. football, would probably be jacking cars somewhere. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. we're going to talk more about Marvin Lewis later, I think. But the the big issue with him for me is, what can he do now? He's defended him for so long. I'm sure he's had talks with Burfick, and Burfick just is not going to change. So at this point, if he says anything except for what he said, he's basically admitting, I've lost control of the locker room. These guys don't listen to me. They do what they want. You know, The lack of consistency in any number of areas in the NFL, it's so frustrating. But 
We love the games, and we'll, we're going to continue to watch. Mm-hmm. Look, even if the end result can ultimately be questioned, as as I believe it was for Falcon fans, you know, you can question that. You just have to know going in that you may come away feeling disillusioned. You may come away perhaps unsatisfied. You know, it's a turd on wheels almost. But you, you enjoy know? the action. But you do. Eventually, though, the NFL does. They've they've got to fix this. They've got to mm-hmm. fix the inconsistency at some point. Enough will be enough. Fans are going to begin to walk away, and maybe it's already starting to happen, but we'll talk about that a little later on in the show. As Popeye used to say, though, that's all I can stand, and I can't stand for me. Uh, Anything you want to add to that, Zach, before we take a break? I don't think so. I think we covered it pretty well. We've got plenty more to get to today on the program. We're going to talk a little more NFL. We've got another thing with this Josh Brown thing. I I want to get to that, so... We've got a lot of stuff. I want to get to the NBA, talk, uh, tracking stats that have, to the point where they've officially jumped the shark. I mean, <laughs> at some point. And of course, we got this week's Red Hawks report sponsored by Roberts Wesleyan College. We'll use some, we'll get to some of our regular features as well. You can find archives of previous broadcasts on our website, bggprogram.com. You can also keep up with the program on Twitter and other social media platforms. Our social media handle is at BTG Program. We can also be reached via the studio line, 585-431-1202, 585-431-1202. I'm Benson. He's Barletta. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Title sponsor of Beyond the Game is Town & Country Pest Solutions, and they have been for the two-plus years the show's been on the air. But that's nothing compared to the nearly 30 years of bringing your homes and businesses of unwelcome pests. And I'm not just here reading a commercial script for them. I am a happy and satisfied customer. They have taken care of a mouse, bee, ant, and even fly problem for me. Yes, my house is old and falling apart and I get all sorts of pest problems, and you may too as the colder air creeping in starts to cause critters to seek shelter in your attic, basement, or walls. If you think you have a problem or want to make sure that you don't, call Town & Country. They really are the best. They guarantee their work, and did I mention they're the best? Save yourself any more of a headache and money by giving them a call first. Don't waste your time on other companies. Town & Country will do it right the first time, every time. So give them a call today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. One more time because someone decided that three is the magic number, 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God. It's here. Ram Sports Network. Christian Sports Television. That's right. Christian Sports Television. Ram Sports Network is the first Christian sports TV channel with programming from Pee-wee to the pros. Games, events, sports talk, fitness and nutrition, sports missions, western sports, and sports ministry. We're spreading the gospel through sports. Watch us now at ramsportsnetwork.com or find us on the Roku Channel Store. Ram Sports Network. More than a game. Welcome back to Beyond the Game. want to thank you for hanging out with us. Last season, the Phoenix Suns finished 14th out of 15 teams in the NBA's Western Conference. They had a 23-59 record. They were 50 games behind the Golden State Warriors, 18 games out of any possible playoff picture. Needless to say, it wasn't an up year for the Suns. We'll have our NBA preview coming up next week. 
But I doubt we're going to be talking about the Suns because it doesn't seem they're going to be part of this season's playoff scenario either. In fact, they may have a hard time even improving on last year's results. The Suns are clearly looking towards the future, and whenever you have a youth uh, youth movement, how those young players come together is important. How the chemistry works among them is connected to how successful that team's going to perform overall. The Suns believe they have a metric now that will help them gauge the team's chemistry and how selfless their players are. The Suns will track player interaction on the court this season by keeping track of high fives. Wait, what? Yeah, that's right. They're going to keep track (laughs) of high fives. And I think this is an interesting idea. At first, I want to completely dismiss it as foolish. I want to say that this is the... In this era of advanced statistics, this has officially gone too far. It has jumped the shark, which, by the way, do you know where that phrase comes from, jump the shark? I believe it's, is it the Brady Bunch? Happy Days. Happy Days. And it was one of those shows a little before my time because they literally jumped a shark on water skis, right? Fonzie. Fonzie. That's right. Fonzie did it. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I think it's a little foolish because coming off the court at a time at a timeout, will a player really have an opportunity to high-five every other teammate? I mean, are they going to be able to get to the last guy the farthest down on the bench? Probably not. I tend to doubt it. They're going to be focused on getting to that chalkboard conversation that they have during timeouts, and they're only likely going to high-five and connect with those teammates that they cross paths with on the way in. So I think already the data is going to be somewhat skewed. Additionally, in this instance, the Suns are going to, they're going to be awful, I think. And because they're going to be out of the so many of the games that they play fairly early, how much high-fiving is really going to get done? Probably not that much. I wouldn't think. If you're going to just be going through the motions, you're really not focused on team camaraderie. And instead, you'll probably just, you know, give out one or two high fives just because that's what you do. So I, I think it has its flaws, and, and it leans to the foolish side. My thoughts on this, sorry, I, you look like you're about to talk there. No. Nope. But what, the first thing that struck me is, like, there's a rule in science that to observe something is to cause a slight change. And if if these players know that you're watching and counting their high fives, maybe they just start high fiving like crazy to try to be the high five leader. You know, I mean, that sounds ridiculous even saying that phrase, Well, trying to be the high five leader. But I mean, if you're a young player trying to make the team and you're like, look, this team thinks high fives are important. You're going to high five everybody, you know, maybe that throws off your count. High five in the guy that brings out the water, the people in the behind the bench in the The first row. Yeah. 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 Well, If you think about it a little further, though, it does have some value. Remember last year when LeBron didn't include Kevin Love in his Instagram pictures and there was a little bit of hubbaloo over that? Have the Cavaliers been using some form of high-five metric? Can we call it that? Would it have revealed some sort of disconnect between the two? Would they have seen that, you know, LeBron never seems to high-five Kevin Love? Would that have showed something i i don't i don't know it, would they if it did though would they have been able to respond to it of course the Cavs won the title so i guess it didn't make yeah, much difference they're doing lots of high-fiving now but maybe on a team with young potential stars like the suns maybe it should be part of a rebuilding process or part of their building process not even rebuilding you know the yankees teams that won championships in the 70s they were famous for 
being fragmented for disliking one another. But I, I think those situations are really not the norm. They're right. more the exception. Team chemistry is important, though. It's important to how happy, how content a player is. I would think it would weigh into how much a player desires to return to a particular team. Mm -hmm. What would some type of camaraderie scorecard have shown the front office in Oklahoma City last the last few seasons? Is it possible there could have been steps they could have taken that you know would have made the team closer, would have perhaps made it harder, therefore, for to Kevin Durant to walk away from? I mean, I doubt it, but I can't completely dismiss it. Many times, very subtle adjustments can make a difference to how well people adapt or how well they enjoy the situation they're in. And there's no doubt that in any team or in any workplace that there are legitimate opportunities for team bonding. Heck, employers and teams, they're often very intentional about creating additional opportunities for their employees, for their team, for their players to, to bond together. Mm -hmm. And if that's true, which it is, then it only makes sense to figure out some type of measure of how well it's actually working. If, if, if there's a player or a coworker who seems to always be the one who's left out, how can you repair that? For that person, you know, it's the, it's, it's an empty feeling. And I've been there my whole life. I've actually learned to avoid certain situations because of it. Now, I don't want you to feel sorry for me. That's that's not it at all. I've been blessed with many friends, but maybe not that ultra-close friend. You know, you see on the commercials where they go and they do everything together. You know, for me, that's always been my wife. But, you know, you're at dinner functions and, you know, you got friends around. You got a lot of friends there. Everyone finds a place to sit and time and time again I was always the one who was sort of the extra having to find the open chair. Everyone finds a seat, and then there's mm -hmm. me kind of looking, well, where does that open seat? Uh, again, I'm not telling you this so you feel sorry for me. Those people are all friends, maybe just not the closest. But I tell you that because if an employer or a sports team could identify those type of situations, and they might be able to make those people – People in the my situation that I just described feel a little more part of the team. Mm -hmm. So I think this high five thing might have some merit. Although I think it's it's probably a a poor that's the poor thing to be judging. Although I think their intentions are good. What they're trying to find out is good. I don't think the number of high fives is really a strong indicator. I guess, but it may offer some insight. Yeah, it's a first step. I'm sure it will hopefully help lead them to finding a better indicator. Ultimately, I would suspect the Suns are going to abandon this idea of measuring high fives, but I think they are onto something and wanting to measure team chemistry, player camaraderie, how selfless a player may be. But bringing this a little closer to home, how great would it be if churches were to, were to be able to identify this phenomenon? You know, most churches get their fair share of visitors. Churches get visitors, but how many of those visitors return the following week? Or maybe a better question is how many are still there a month later or who have become infused into that small church body or, you know, in a short amount of time. I see people come to church all the time. I see visitors come to church all the time. In fact, I see numbers of them go forward to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. If 50 people go forward a year, if a couple hundred make their way through your church each year, where are they now? 
Where are they? In two or three years, your church should have been grown by at least 150 new believers, you know, hundreds of visitors. Where are they? Now, of course, there's numerous reasons that they aren't there, but one of them is most definitely that they're, that they've never felt included. And after the first week and, you know, after the obligatory welcomes that, you know, they, they were never high-fived after that, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, in light of this discussion. Christians, we have to break that trend. We have to burst our little Christian bubbles. We have to do better at making people feel part of the team, not just to build our local church, but to build the body of Christ. People everywhere, they want what they, they want to feel part of something, part of a community. I guess what I'm talking about is people want to be part of a loving, caring community of friends. John 13:35 says, "By this all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another." People are looking for people who will be a friend. Here are just 10 things. I want to give you 10 things about friends which strengthen the bonds, strengthen the chemistry between people and whether it be a sports team, your workplace, or, or among the people in your church or ministry, one, a good friend will pray for you. A good friend prays for you. Philippians 1, 3, and 4, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy. A good friend prays for you. We ought to pray for one another. A good friend encourages you. A good friend will praise you. Hey, nice job on this. Well done. You know, you're really good at this. How good are you at passing out compliments? Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. We ought to hand out compliments more often. We ought to, we ought to encourage and praise one another. A good friend will not judge you. Now, sometimes it's easy to be a judgmental about the pe- people we're closest to. That's the people we know the most about. It's easy to judge them. You know a lot of stuff about them. A good friend's going to listen to you. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen talks about iron sharpening iron. And a good friend will tell you the truth. You know, the good, the bad. A good friend will defend you. That's not to say blindly like I think Marvin Lewis is doing, but mm-hmm. remember, defending someone you love is not done by hiding or covering the truth. Sometimes it's addressing the truth. Ephesians 4.15 says, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. A good friend is unselfish. A good friend will protect you. A good friend will grieve with you. Proverbs 17.17, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. You know, if we give more attention to these things, if we Try to be better friends to one another. Maybe within the church, people are going to want to be a part of it. Who wouldn't want somebody that's going to pray for you, encourage you, praise you, uh, not judge you, listen to you, tell you the truth, defend you, a friend that's unselfish, who will protect you, who will grieve with you when you have times of hurt? In our churches, you know, we don't have to give out. We don't have to count high fives. What we need to do is love one another and be friends to one another. There will come a time when you when when you you're going to need a friend. Mm-hmm. You know how much of a friend have you been? And remember, your children are watching. Teach them well. Teach them to be true friends. We have the greatest example of a friend that's ever lived in Jesus Christ. A friend willing to give his life to pay for your debt of sin to restore your relationship with God. We'll be back right after these brief messages. 
I'm Rick Benson. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program, which is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Here is the Red Hawks Report for this week, October 22nd, 2016. The Red Hawks Report is presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. Last Saturday, the Red Hawks women's tennis team dropped a close match to Post University 5-4, and they're now sitting at 9-7 on the season. On Sunday, New York Institute of Technology was in town to take on both the Red Hawks men's and women's soccer teams. While the men fell to 3-9-1 overall after losing 2-zip, the women's soccer team recorded their eighth shutout on the season in a 2-0 victory. Freshman Israela Groves and senior Bella Matreski each notching goals as the Red Hawks won for the ninth time this season. The women's volleyball team lost a heartbreaker on the road to Mercy College 3-2. Senior Alexandra Tahari led the Red Hawks with 16 kills in the tightly contested match. Sophomore Christina Button adding 14 kills with 4 blocks. Junior Elizabeth Rivera with 56 assists. And fifth-year senior Olivia Zurich provided 21 digs. Your opportunities to catch the Red Hawks in action at home this week are somewhat limited. Later today, and it's actually at 11 a.m., so you'll need to get going, listen to the rest of the show in your car. The women's volleyball team will host Malloy College today at 11 a.m., and the women's tennis team will also play Malloy, that being at noon in what's the last home match for the Red Hawks women's tennis squad. Next Wednesday, October 26th, the Red Hawks women's soccer team will take on Nyack College at 5 p.m. in what is their regular season finale. And best of luck to the women's basketball team, who will kick off their season on the road this week. They'll be at SUNY Geneseo on Thursday night, still fairly local if you want to go out and catch them, before a home game next Saturday against U of R. This all before a road trip to South Bend to take on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish Thursday, November 3rd. That's the Red Hawks Report for this week, October 22nd, 2016. The Red Hawks Report is presented by Roberts Wesleyan College, and you can follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter at RWC Redhawks. This has been the Red Hawks Report presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College, where athletics are fundamental to our commitment to educate for character. Our athletic program is strong and getting stronger every year. We offer 17 varsity sports, from lacrosse and basketball to track and field and soccer, and the only Division II athletic program in the area. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. Welcome back once again, and thanks for being with us here on Beyond the Game at BTG Program or btgprogram.com. One of our favorite segments we do each week is shenanigans. It gives us an opportunity to hit several topics all in one segment. I keep saying segment. Segment. What what (laughs) am I? In one segment. If you're new to the program, Zach's going to make a statement, and we're either going to agree with that statement or we'll call shenanigans on it. So, Zach, in the world words of Mick Jagger, start me up. All right. Colts general manager Ryan Grigson recently blamed Andrew Luck's contract for the Colts' struggles. Truth or shenanigans, Grigson's correct. You know, I agree. The Colts have some obvious holes, namely the defense and the offensive line. They viewed Luck as their franchise quarterback, and rightfully so, and they wanted to lock him up. But unfortunately, they could have 
been a little less aggressive on that, and they could have signed some players around him to help. Uh, you know, you can look at the Seahawks and the way they handled Russell Wilson as an example of w- what I'm talking about. You can't blame Luck for accepting what the club offered. But regardless of the high level of talent, nobody wins with just one guy. I, I think they were a little overly aggressive. I call shenanigans. And the reason for me is that we've seen a lot of teams pay their quarterbacks. The Saints paid Drew Brees. The Ravens paid Joe Flacco. The Packers paid Aaron Rodgers. And we've seen those teams go on to at least be pretty good. You know, and I, what Grigson really, what he said was that it's tough to build a defense when you pay Andrew Luck so much. The thing is, during all the years of Luck's rookie contract, when he was not making that much, the Colts were 20th or worse in team defense every year. So even when he was cheap, they couldn't put a defense together. They've neglected, as you said, the offensive line for years. I just feel like it's not impossible. We've seen it done. I think Grigson is the problem, to be honest. He can't even get along with the head coach of the team. I think he's the problem. With the Bengals sitting at 2-4 and four after beat-down losses to the Cowboys and Patriots, Marvin Lewis jumps to the top of the list of soon-to-be-fired coaches. Why don't you go first on this one? I say shenanigans, but just barely. He's not tops on my list, but only because of Gus Bradley. <laughs> uh, I think it's a miracle Gus Bradley still hasn't been fired. But I think the Bengals severely underestimated how much it would hurt their offense to lose Marvin Jones and Muhammad Sanu. Their depth at receiver is pretty bad now. And their offensive coordinator that really made that team run is now coaching the Browns. So, I mean, it's not all Marvin Lewis's fault, but still, I felt like he was on borrowed time since that playoff loss last year where they had the game won and their lack of discipline ripped the victory away from them. And as we've mentioned already, now his his defense of Vontez perfect. I really think that um, if they don't win at least one of their easy games the next couple of weeks, he's gone. I I actually I I agree. I think he does jump to the top of the list. I, the Bengals have been beat really in every facet of the game. That that game against the Cowboys, they were just that was a total beatdown. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's as completely one-sided as it could have gotten unless you're counting that Michigan-Rutgers game from a few weeks ago. The Bengals have not been able to win big games when it's counted most. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just got done saying his his defense, irrational defense sometimes yes. of players. There's a good amount of talent still on that roster. So before they slip back into the pack of also-rans, which maybe they already have, it's time for a change. Marvin Lewis might be a good coach, and maybe he gets another chance somewhere else. But right now the Bengals need to do something, and you have to figure that as you, Lewis is on borrowed time. Last week we asked whether Dak Prescott would remain the Cowboys' starting quarterback once Tony Romo returns. Jerry Jones seemed to answer that last week by saying it will be Romo despite Prescott's excellent play and the Cowboys' now five-game winning streak. But since then, he has backtracked. So truth or shenanigans, benching Prescott for Romo would be the right move. I agree, but it wasn't easy to agree. You know, I answered last week that Romo will be the quarterback, and I think that's the right move. You know, as time goes on, though, it becomes harder and harder because Prescott continues to play well. I get it, though. You know, if if you disagree and you think that Prescott should be the quarterback, it's hard to argue with. For the first time in quite a long time, things are rolling in the right direction for the 
Dallas Cowboys. Why would you want to mess with that? Prescott mm-hmm. has proven he can do the job. And, you know, Jones did backpedal a little bit when he said that, you know, he's going to take a wait-and-see approach. But I I just think you need to give the Romo the job because a player shouldn't lose it by going on a disabled list. Maybe that's old school. You know, I, I don't think an organization wants to get an, a reputation, though. And, and I get it. One, one situation, mm-hmm. it does not a reputation make. But you don't want to get a reputation where pay, players are afraid to open up about an injury, fearing that they may lose their job. Uh, that said, I'd, I'd probably have a conversation with Romo. He knows how well Prescott has played, and circumstances are different now than when he went out. You know, he gets a job, but there wouldn't be much of a wait to make a switch if he doesn't play well. Yeah, I, I say shenanigans. The funny thing is, had we actually gotten to this segment a week ago, I would have said I agreed and Romo should be the quarterback. But having watched Prescott play another week, I think it's far enough into the season to say that it's not that small of a sample size anymore and he can keep this up. And I saw recently, actually yesterday, a graphic comparing the numbers for Prescott's first six games versus Romo's numbers in the last six games that he played. The numbers were almost identical, except Romo had eight interceptions in six games and Prescott had one. So at this point, it looks like Prescott might even be the better quarterback. You've got to keep him in there. Yeah, I I get it. I get people that say, I just don't think you should lose your job by going out for an injury because that's going to make somebody else on the team think, I don't want to disclose my injury, you know, unless my leg is hanging off and and they obviously (laughs) can see it, but... I mean, you know, I don't want to give re- players reasons to not be yeah completely and I, upfront. That was the logic I would have used last week. I just think at this point, I just don't think you can do it. Sticking with the Cowboys, yeah. truth or shenanigans, Ezekiel Elliott will be the NFL MVP. Go first. I'll say shenanigans, and I have three reasons. A rookie has only won the MVP by my count three times in the history of the league. He'll have votes stolen from him in both Rookie of the Year and MVP by his own teammate, Dak Prescott. And number three, the MVP has basically become the top quarterback or most dominant pass rusher award. By the end of the year, Zeke may certainly deserve the award, but I think the odds are against it. That's a tough one. And I I agree that he's in the conversation, but will he win the MVP? Probably not for all the reasons you've said. The Cowboys have only played six games so far. You know, there's still a lot of time left. With each week that passes, there's more tape Mm. on Elliott. There's more defenses that, you know, they're learning. They're making adjustments. And depending on what Dallas ends up doing at quarterback, he, he, as you said, has a teammate in Dak Prescott that may challenge him for that award. And remember, we're talking MVP. We're not talking Rookie of the Year. and Both are going to be leading candidates for that. Uh, But I think, Matt Ryan and the Falcons, I think Ben Roethlisberger, the Steelers, are also part of that conversation. And with Roethlisberger going to be missing time, maybe it actually increases that opens the door, how yeah. much of an MVP he really is. Because quarterback play has really kind of been down around the league this year, surprisingly. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers hasn't been that guy we're used to him being. Right, but if Roethlisberger, if the Steelers stumble without Roethlisberger, it'll really reveal how how valuable he is to that team Mm -hmm. without him they're not the same yeah i don't know it's gonna be interesting to follow that that dallas team is a big story this year i think (laughs) yeah as much as i dislike it as a giants fan (laughs) absolutely all right the jets naming geno smith the starting quarterback was a necessary change 
I say shenanigans to that. I don't think anyone really believes putting Geno Smith in right now is a necessary move. It, putting <laughs> Geno Smith is never a necessary move. It, it's not. Does anybody really think that it's going to be he's going to be able to provide significantly more production over Ryan Fitzpatrick? But you know, at one and five, the season's getting away. The playoffs are really not a possibility. You wouldn't think at this point. So why not see what you have in Bryce Petty or Christian Hackenberg? The, mm-hmm. You know, you used a second round pick on Hackenberg. You might as well find out during a lost season. Then you know, if either one of these guys can be your guy. If not, why did you use a second-round pick? Yeah. yeah. I call shenanigans as well. Uh, they needed to make a change, but I think it needs to be even more drastic than what you had said. I think they need to add a quarterback from outside the organization. Uh, Geno Smith's bad. We know what Geno Smith is. Bryce Petty, Christian Hackenberg, those draft choices were pretty much universally panned. They don't seem to be very good either. Would it be crazy to suggest making a trade for someone like Tony Romo? But at 1-5... in five, you know, the, you're, not, you're not going to the playoffs. Right. So let one of those two rookies, who know, maybe you can catch lightning in a bottle. And then in the offseason, if you determine that, well, you know what? These were wasted draft picks. Mm-hmm. And a second-round pick is a high-wasted draft pick. Mm-hmm. Well, then, then maybe you got to go outside the organization. But you got what, – what do you have? you got 10 games left to see if one of those guys can be your guy. That's true. I think you've convinced me. After controversial plays late in the Falcon-Seahawks game, there's been a clamoring to make pass interference a reviewable play. So truth or shenanigans, pass interference should be reviewable. Absolutely. I think all penalties should be reviewable. In a critical situation such as we discussed, uh, you know, that no call made a big difference in the game. Even if it's just a minor penalty, it may be enough to keep a drive going. Here's my plan. In addition to the red challenge flag, each coach would have a blue challenge flag specifically for penalties. Now, I suspect if this were, if, if this plan were around, the Falcons might be five and one. You can only use it one time. One time you can throw the blue flag. So you don't want to waste it on, on a mm-hmm. meaningless call early in the game. Right. But in that situation in the Falcons Seahawks, I would have tossed it late in the game to be able to take a look and see, hey man, there was, and maybe you want to do it just for major penalties. There was a face mask. There was, you know, whatever. But even the holding penalties make a difference, so why not let them challenge just once in the game? Yeah. Maybe you could make it a situation where you could only throw that blue flag if the penalty would have resulted in a first down, you know, or something like that where you limit it a little bit. Perhaps. Yeah, you, right. You don't want to make the games go forever, but. Yeah. Um, I like that idea. That You thought that out a lot more than I did. That was good. Uh, I agree, too. I say make it reviewable, and I think you should have it automatically reviewed by the booth in the final two minutes of each half, like a scoring play is, where if it's crunch time and it's going to determine the outcome of a game because of how little time is left, you absolutely should review penalties then. Penalties are part of the game. You know, they're they're a significant part of the game, and in a key situation, they affect the game. Um, Why shouldn't you be able to review it? C.C. Sabathia's $25 million vesting option for next year kicked in when he finished the season with a healthy left shoulder. So truth or shenanigans, Sabathia's 2016 season proves he can still help the Yankees next year. I agree. You know, I didn't think that would be the case, but yeah, I think he can help. He won't be an ace of the staff. 
He needs to understand that, but he can be a back end bullpen or back end bullpen, back end of the rotation guy. Mm-hmm. But come the postseason, you know, he might have to understand that you're not going to be, yeah, in the starting rotation for a postseason. But if the Yankees were to go to the postseason, but yeah, I think he can help. I agree. And even halfway through this season, I wouldn't have believed it. I would not have thought that I would be saying this, but CC was kind of quietly one of the Yankees' most consistent and effective starters. He seemed to finally have that Mike Mussina moment that we've been waiting for, where he figured out how to get batters out, even with his diminished stuff. And uh, I mean, he obviously is not going to be worth that $25 million next year, but I think he'll do enough to help the team that I think he'll be a positive and asset. It's the Yankees. They're not worried necessarily about the worth. Think of the contracts right. they gave Jeter, Bernie Williams in their final mm-hmm. years. It, the, some of these contracts sometimes are just a thank you. Yeah. You know, well done. Here you go. Taking care of our guys. Yeah, it's kind of thanks for the memories money this year. Yeah. But I, I with you, I think CC can help. We went a little long, obviously, in the shenanigans segment. We It's one of our favorites. And we didn't get to it last week. We ran out of time. So we wanted to give it a little extra time. We're going to take a break. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk a little bit about the Josh Brown situation. I'm Rick Benson. He's Zach Barletta. This is the Beyond the Game program brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Title sponsor of Beyond the Game is Town & Country Pest Solutions, and they have been for the two-plus years the show's been on the air. But that's nothing compared to the nearly 30 years of bringing your homes and businesses of unwelcome pests. And I'm not just here reading a commercial script for them. I am a happy and satisfied customer. They have taken care of a mouse, bee, ant, and even fly problem for me. Yes, my house is old and falling apart and I get all sorts of pest problems. And you may too as the colder air creeping in starts to cause critters to seek shelter in your attic, basement, or walls. If you think you have a problem or want to make sure that you don't, call Town & Country. They really are the best. They guarantee their work and did I mention they're the best. Save yourself any more of a headache and money by giving them a call first. Don't waste your time on other companies. Town and Country will do it right the first time, every time. So give them a call today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. One more time because someone decided that three is the magic number, 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town and Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal Secure Servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support. I like it. (laughs) Not usually your style, but it is certainly mine. 
Welcome back to the Beyond the Game program. I'm Benson. He's Barletta. We spoke earlier in a program about the NFL and its inconsistency in a number of areas, especially in the area of player discipline. You know, Tom Brady, again, I'm not defending. I just don't understand how he gets hit with a suspension for a quarter of the season while a guy like Vontez Burfick gets a minimal fine and, you know, no suspension despite the league acknowledging his unnecessary roughness. So before the season began, the New York Giants kicker Josh Brown was hit with a one-game suspension for domestic violence. It just, it didn't sit right. The fact that the charges had been dropped, that there was no condemning video, you were you were left feeling like, sort of like, well, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but deep down, something didn't feel right about it. And, you know, to hear the Giants' ownership say that they had all the information and felt comfortable re-signing him, uh, you know, just left me kind of con- conflicted, a little unsure what to think about. But what do I know? You know, they're closer to the situation. What do I know? Part of that is that the New York Giants have always been one of the classier organizations in, in the NFL. They've been stable. They've run, run by the same family for years. I trusted that they had a good handle on things. But now with new information that came out this week, I can't help but wonder what the Giants knew and, you know, when did they know it? it in documents released by King County Sheriff's Office in, in the state of Washington, Brown admits to horrific abuse against his wife, as now ex-wife, Molly. He says, I have physically, mentally, emotionally, and verbally been a repulsive man. I have abused my wife. And he gets even more specific. I have been a liar for most of my life. I made selfish de- decisions to use and abuse women starting at the age of seven to fill this void. I objectified women and never really worried about the pain and hurt I caused them. My ability to connect emotionally to other people was zero. My empathy levels were zero because I never handled these underlying issues of I came in an abuser and hurt Molly physically, emotionally, and verbally. I mean, this is tough stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I viewed myself as God, basically, and she was my slave. In another document, Brown labeled himself a porn addict, saying he viewed pornography on a consistent basis to manage my desire for physical contact. I I developed into a sexual deviant that viewed sex as a sport. His wife is on record saying that Brown uh, had threatened to kill her four or five times. I mean, you have to think that. And and listen, it's this came out Wednesday. We're recording this program on Thursday. I suspect much will change before it airs on Saturday morning. But Mm -hmm. the Giants have decided not to take him to London I'm sure the NFL is reinvestigating. The Giants have a decision to make, but um, are you comfortable now knowing all this with a one-game suspension? You know, I'm not. The Giants need to fire him. They need to cut him now without hesitation before he plays another down, and, and probably that's what's happening with him not taking him to, to London for the game. They signed him to a two-year, $4 million contract. Yeah, and I would have been okay with the one-game suspension and taking him back and stuff, except that the stuff that you read, he wrote a while ago, correct? Right. So he has known for a period of time that he had this problem. He even mentions in that document, this happened because I didn't handle it and I let it go. Well, he continued to let it go and not handle it, and it happened again. So... If he clearly knows he's got a problem, he does nothing about it. That's where he's in the camp now of he deserves whatever he gets, and I don't feel bad for him. I agree, and 
I think the Giants had to know this too. I'm a little surprised. They say they had the information and re-signed them. I, I'm sure we'll hear more about that. But signing them to a four million dollar two year extension, they they have to pay them. You know, mm-hmm. fire them, terminate them, but write the check. Get him the help though uh, that he needs. Help him fi- help him find help to deal with his sickness. It's easy for me to justify the, the cutting them, the termination, as you just said. This information might be new to us, but he's known it. He knew the truth while he was fighting this one-game suspension way back when. He said in August he doesn't agree with the suspension, but he'd accepted. He, I've exhausted the appeals process. You know, he made it seem like this one-game suspension was too severe, despite knowing that in reality his mental abuse was no less horrific than Ray Rice's physical abuse. It's just that Ray Rice was caught on video. I, you know, I yeah, I think the Giants need to cut him for being intentionally and knowingly deceitful. But they also need to have the integrity to pay him, and they're obligated, and they need to be a friend by helping him find help to get better. And this is not uncommon behavior by many who suffer with a pornography addiction. Women become objectified. Uh, the sexual degradation just grows. Violence is often an eventual side effect to this. If you have an addiction to pornography, don't wait. Get help. Talk to a pastor. Talk to a friend. There are a number of faith-based organizations that can help, places like triplexchurch.com. But get help before your addiction turns uglier. Studies indicate as much as 70% of American men regularly view online pornography and as much as 30% of American women. The staggering thing about pornography is that it's almost as prominent within the church as outside it. Mm-hmm. Some studies show that 50%, 50% of Christian men and 20% of Christian women regularly use pornography. Now, based on those numbers, almost certainly you know somebody and somebody listening is one of those people secretly addicted to pornography. I don't have the exact numbers, but there's a significant number of pastors and church leaders who are addicted to pornography. And it's obvious it's a tool of the devil to destroy families. And that's one thing I would say if you're listening and you struggle with this, as someone who's experienced it myself, that um, one of the side effects of a pornography addiction is that it, it causes you to feel alone and uh, ashamed and guilty and you feel like if you were to go to somebody about it that oh you would be humiliated and they would look down on you this is so commonplace and so widespread chances are somebody that you could go to talk to about this that you trust will not be shocked because it's so commonplace you are not the only one that's dealing with it first thessalonians five twenty two says abstain from every form of evil like adultery, fornication, homosexuality, incest, BCA, other forms of sexual immorality, the use of pornography is also a sin. Among the lists of sins, which are the works of the flesh, which is found in Galatians 5.19, sexual immorality is listed there. Jesus says in Matthew 5.28 that everyone who looks on a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, husbands, you may think to yourself that I would never cheat on my wife, but if if you're looking at pornography, then Jesus says you already have. Get help. And the same goes for you women. Hebrews 13.4 says that 
marriage is to be held in honor among all, and that the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. That means for those of you who are single and using pornography, it's fornication. It's sin. So biblically, it doesn't matter if you're single or if you're married. Pornography is sin. Get help. At some point, you can no longer live in denial. You need to repent. You need to seek God's forgiveness. Some would say that pornography is a victimless crime, but that's garbage. It's not. You know, both those who are featured in it and who are objectified through it, as well as those who are consuming pornography, are hurt by it. It's destroying lives. It's destroying marriages. It's destroying families. And yeah, Josh Brown's wife was very affected by it. And, and Josh Brown, too. Mm-hmm. Perhaps you're thinking that the urge is too strong, that the pull of pornography is too much to resist. But the Bible says that that's just not so. First Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation is overtaking you, but as such as is common to man, and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Listen, we have a problem in America with pornography. It is a sin that is destroying families. If you have an addiction to pornography, you need to know that you can escape it. Jesus Christ can break the bonds of addiction. Based on statistics, a significant number of people listening to this program right now, saved or unsaved, have are suffering with such an addiction. Get help. Join me in praying for Josh Brown and others like him. TripleXChurch.com can be a resource that can help. Your pastor may be a resource that can help. Perhaps a trusted friend or a family member, but your greatest resource is prayer. We, we need to pray for one another. We need to pray for those that are battling this awful addiction. And we need to pray for guys like Josh Brown. Prayer is one of the strongest resources we have. We're running out of time. Again, this week we had some segments we wanted to talk about, didn't get to it. I want to talk about You Like That. The title sponsor of Beyond the Game program is Town & Country Pass Solutions. Townandcountrysolutions.com, fearing nothing but God. The You Like That segment is where we take a moment to point out some of the good things people do. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. Recently, the members of Millican University football team decided to stay in his locker room during the national anthem as a united stance. This, uh, the previous week, several of them had taken knees, but the community was outraged, so they decided to just stay in the locker room. That is with the exception of Connor Brewer. Connor stood alone on the Millican sideline while his team was in the locker room honoring America. He, his family, his friends have all declined to comment about it, choosing not to become part of the ongoing dialogue about the anthem and these various protests. Connor Brewer's courage to stand alone for the anthem while his team remained in the locker room is what I like this week. You like that? You like that? This past week when the New York Rangers opened their season against the Islanders, my three-year-old daughter and my three-month-old son sat down with me and watched the game. Well, my, my three-month-old son did that much of a choice, but um, as a father, I've always looked forward to the day when I'd be able to sit and watch a game with my kids. I didn't think it would be this soon, but it was great, and uh, that's what I liked this week. What a great moment. 
Thanks for listening to Beyond the Game. Beyond the Game has been brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. TownandCountrySolutions.com. Give them a call, 585-426-5024. Tell them Benson and Barletta sent you. For Zach, I'm Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week right here at the same time. Be great this week, everybody. Everybody.